Well, Matthew 25, we're in the final message of our series, Live Generously. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for grace. Thank you for your open heart and open hand to us so that we could have an open heart and open hand to others. And so, Father, as we go into your word and as we prepare hearts for communion this morning, uh, we pray you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. All right. How many of you have ever been on a blind date? I'm going back to 29 years ago because I have been married 27 years and dated my wife two years before we got married, and I kind of went on a blind date once. I'm not going to disclose to you the details of it. I need to say it was not that successful. And uh, first of all, blind dates are not maybe the greatest way to to match up with somebody. They work for some, but for others, they don't. You know, you, you go on this blind date and you meet up with this stranger, and you know maybe right from the start, you just have this, this isn't going to work. And so if it's not going to work, the whole evening is just shot. It's just like a job interview you don't want to be at. You know, you're just asking one question after another. But then if it maybe there is a possibility you might want this to work, it's still a difficult time, isn't it? Because you've always got to try to come up with those questions that, that, that help those awkward pauses not to be there. So what do you keep talking about? Uh, where are you from? What are your hobbies? How do you like the food? What are you doing tomorrow? Where do you work? And so you kind of come up with all these questions and you're, you don't want those awkward pauses. And then what else do you talk about? Religion, politics, not exactly a good idea. Okay. The Bible tells us that you and I, who are followers of Jesus, are going to meet up with him face to face one day. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. It says we must give an account for the lives that we have lived on this earth. And I don't know what all that's going to be like, what it will be like when we see him face to face, but I do know one of the questions that he is going to ask us. And it is a question of self-evaluation. It is a question of life review. And it comes down to this, as we're going to see in our teaching this morning. And it is this question. Did you live a life afraid of what you would lose? Or did you live a life of faith, hopeful of what you might gain? Did you live a life that was motivated by your insecurities? Or did you live a life out of faith in the abundance of God's generosity. And folks, here's the issue. Do we have enough vision and faith for tomorrow that we're willing to risk the security of what we have today? And because if we're willing to risk in faith, that is the biggest key to opening up our hearts and opening up our hands to the outrageous generosity of receiving and giving God's grace. So this morning as we close out our series on Live Generously, I want to give you three reasons on why we should be risk takers 
and how that is the key to opening up our hearts and our hands to a life of generosity. And I want to talk about two attitudes that we need to overcome that block us from being risk takers. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 25, we're going to hang out there. That's going to be our teaching roadmap this morning. And if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the scriptures by way of the screen. Now let me kind of briefly set the stage for us. Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gives this extended teaching about the end times, about what life is going to be like when it finally starts to roll down toward the end and Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And it's in chapter 25 that he talks about the judgments that we're going to face, the evaluation that's going to occur. And he gives about the the parable or the story of the judgment of the sheep and the goats. But then he premises it and he sets it up by telling this story about the measure, about the basis of our own valuation as children, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 14, it says, again, it will be like, it will be like. And so he tells the story of what it will be like. He's kind of comparing it to something. He's taking a very simple story that we can all relate to that's going to expand and open up a larger truth that we'll have to confront and face. And so the first thing that I want us to see this morning, or Jesus rather wants us to see from the story is that, number one, by way of your notes, is that we are all gifted by God for a life that matters. We are all gifted by God to live a life that matters, that, that makes a difference. Verse 14 says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So you've got this owner, you've got this Master, you've got this man of incredible wealth. He has these servants underneath him. He's going to go on a journey, but he's entrusting these servants with his wealth. Verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according, notice this, to his ability. To his ability. Now, the Greek word there for bags of gold is the word talent. Some of your translations may have the word talent. Other translations have bags of silver. But the talent is really a technical, measurable term in terms of coinage or finances. Sometimes we've looked in the past at that. You may have read that and say, he entrusted talents. And you might think of like a a talent show. You know, somebody displays their ability to play the piano or to juggle, but that's not it. A talent was a measurement of money that was equal to 6,000 denarii. Now, a year's worth of wages in that time was on average 300 denarii. So 6,000 denarii is about 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. One talent 20 years worth of wages. Now you think of it in today's terms, if you take a salary of maybe $50,000, you put it in equivalent measurements, then one denarii today would be about $1 million, or one talent rather. Two talents 
would be about $2 million. Five talents, again, $5 million. Now, what all this represents is that God is the owner, God is the master. Jesus Christ, he owns everything. And he has given to each of us different talents, different measurements of skill, abilities, and opportunities, and resources. And they are all given to us. And notice it says he entrusted them property. This is on loan. The basic truth of stewardship of how we understand our lives, how we live, our framework is that we are not owners, but we are managers. We don't own anything. We have been entrusted by God with abilities, relationships, friendships, opportunities, resources, and we are managing those as stewards. We are not owners as those who possess and control. And this is a huge truth when it comes to defining what is the nature of sin and how do we truly live a fulfilled life. I, when it comes to my car, my vehicle, I try to be pretty careful on how I drive it. Now, some of you might question that when you look at some of the dings and scratches and stuff like that that's on my car, okay? But my wife drives it too, all right? So that's part of the issue. I can't say that in second service. She'll be here. So I get to bother you guys. But I try to be pretty careful with my vehicle. I want it to last a long time and all that kind of stuff. But then when I'm driving the vehicle of a friend, I'm borrowing it. I'm going to be even more careful on how I drive that vehicle. I don't want to come back scratched or with some dings or whatever. I want to present it to him just as good as I received it because it's not mine. It's something that he is letting me use. And when I am using something that's on loan, I want to be more careful and more responsible with it. And that's how we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be stewards, is that all that we have, our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures, we use more carefully, we use more prayerfully, we use more thoughtfully, because they are on loan to us by God. And we need to realize, folks, that as we're going to see what the big issue of sin is for a follower of Jesus... It's when we don't live up to the potential of all that God has resourced and blessed us with. Now this leads us to the second truth, and it is this. We are gifted by God in different ways. We're all gifted by God for a life that matters, but we are gifted in different ways. Look again in verse 15. It says, to one he gave five bags of gold to another two bags of gold, to another one bag, each according to his ability. There's something very interesting in this parable. Jesus, when he usually tells a parable, he makes a contrast. 
He talks maybe about the wise and the foolish builder. He talks about the merciful and the unmerciful servant. He talks about the humble and the arrogant worshiper. And there's usually a good guy and a bad guy, two people to contrast so that the lesson of what you do and what you don't do is really clear. But this parable is different. There's not a good guy or a bad guy. There's three people. And there's three people because in the Hebrew mindset, three is the number of fullness. And its representative is that all of us are gifted, are resourced, are blessed by God to live a life of matters. But here is a very important truth. We have been gifted in different ways at different levels in very distinct and strategic purposes according to the plan of God. And it's not all the same. And this is a very difficult truth in our culture because our culture more and more just says there's no distinctions. We're all equal. Everybody gets a ribbon. How many of you have heard it said, you can be anything you want to be? You can grow up and be anything you want to be. The only limitation to the size of your accomplishments is the size of your dreams. That feels good when we hear a motivational speaker say that. We get the warm fuzzies at a graduation service or, or speech when that, is, when that is parroted. But I want to tell you a guy who's 145 pounds and he loves football and he dreams of going to the NFL, he's not going there. It's good that he just keeps that as a dream because he's going to be destroyed right there on the football field. Because the average NFL football player is 245 pounds, and he's way too small, and his dreams are not matched by his giftedness. I, I used to watch American Idol, at least the first part of it. I, I know I need prayer here, but I, I would watch the additions. And I, I just I enjoyed seeing people get up there who thought they were the next Whitney Houston or Freddie Mercury, and they could hardly sing a lick. They got up there, and then their dream was to be this American Idol and this superstar, and they just got berated by Simon Cowell because nobody loved them enough to tell them, look, your dreams aren't matching reality. This is not your giftedness. And Jesus says we're gifted at different levels. We're resourced, we're blessed. There's the five bag or the five talent people. We all know some of those, don't we? We hate those people. I mean, those are the people who are so skilled and gifted and life comes so easily for them. I mean, they're going to, they're star athletes in school. They get these great grades, they get these scholarships and they go on to the right schools and they marry the right people and they get the right job and they get public recognition for what they've achieved and accomplishment and money and everything just, just comes their way. They're those five talent people. We don't like those people, at least some of the time. Got to get over that. And there's other people. There's one and two talent people. They're blessed. 
They've got gifts. They've got resources. But it's at different levels and in varying scales and varying degrees. But what Jesus wants us to know, that whether you're one or two or five, whatever it is, you are abundantly blessed, resourced, and gifted to live a life that matters. And the important question is, is not are you like somebody else, but are you living out and being who God has called you to be? Because that is the source of discontent within our culture, is that we're always dreaming of being like somebody else rather than loving and accepting who God has made us to be. And when you love and accept and submit to how God has wired and designed your life, and you have confidence in that, that is a big key to opening up your heart and opening up your hands to a life of generosity because that level of confidence is going to open up a pathway for service and blessing to others. That leads to the third truth. We are accountable for what God has entrusted us. We are accountable for what God has entrusted us. Going on in verse 15 to 16, it says, Then the master went on his journey, and the man had received five bags of gold when at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. 100% increase, 100% return. Verse 17, so also the, the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. Again, 100% return. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. By the way, do you know that archaeologists today, when they're over in Israel, they found all kinds of holes with bags of money in them. This is an actual practice that used to occur. Verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so the master comes back and he looks at the guy who had the five bags. He says, job well done. You did well. You took the money, you invested it, and you've gotten more. He looks at the guy who had the two bags and he said the same thing. Job well done, good and faithful servant. You invested it, you've gotten more back. Now go and you're going to receive more. Verse 25, it says, Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is, what, the, what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked. Another word in the Greek could be you worthless and lazy servant. So you knew, what, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you have put my money, you could have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The question is this, why is the master so severe in his rebuke? Why is he so ticked off? Why is he so upset that this guy with the one talent simply didn't return more for it. We have to think about this, folks. First of all, this guy didn't steal it. He returned the money. It was all there. 
He didn't give him a bag full of IOUs. He didn't blow it on drugs or gambling or prostitution or anything back. He returned 100% of it. And perhaps he thought that, you know, the world is very uncertain. Things can go crazy. Who knows what can happen with the economy? And the best thing for me to do is just to take that money, bury it in the ground where it's safe and protected and nobody knows where it is. In that way, I am secure in what I've been given and I'll return everything back. But here is the deal. He lived in fear of what he could lose rather than in faith and in hopefulness of what he could gain. And folks, this is where our evaluation comes. The disappointment is not in what he did. The disappointment is what he did not do. The disappointment is not in his actions. The disappointment is in his lack of responsibility with the resources that he gave. In fact, he excused his irresponsibility, blaming it on the character of his master. Think about it this way. Theologically, theologically, there are two categories of sin. One are called sins of commission. A sin of commission is where we commit an act that's wrong. We lie to somebody. We cheat somebody. We betray somebody. We, steal. we commit something wrong. But there is another type of sin, and it is a sin of omission. The sin of omission is not where we do something. It's where we withhold something that we should have done. It's not what we did. It's what we failed to do when it was in our responsibility to act. And this is where the sin is. He had been given resources, but he failed to act upon it. Now let's bring this back to the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what he or she has done in the body, whether good or bad. And the word there for bad in the Greek there's three words for sin, or there's three words for evil, for bad in the Greek, that the New Testament uses three main words. One word is kakos, and that simply means wrong. It's a wrong action. There's another word, it's called perneros, where we get the word pornography. It means twisted or sick or evil, taking something that's beautiful and twisting it towards wrong or evil purposes. Neither of those words are used in 2 Corinthians 5.10. The word that is used is the Greek word pholos. The word pholos means trivial, slight, or worthless. And the issue with those of us who are followers of Christ is not that our lives are horribly evil, it's just that they can be disastrously inconsequential. It's because we live in a security of, of a fear of, of of, of, of our insecurity of holding on and controlling the present rather than living in faith and hopefulness of investing toward the future and expanding and seeing the kingdom of God grow. It's not that our lives are horribly moral, just that they can be disastrously inconsequential. And to God and the evaluation that we're going to face is not going to be on our sin because Jesus has died for our sins. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's now a matter of what we have done with the life and the resources that he has given us now that the sin issue and that penalty has been removed. 
I've often said to the Lord, Lord, if you could just allow me to win $10 million from the clearinghouse sweepstakes, I would easily give $9 million of it away for the kingdom. And, you know, I think the Lord said to me, I'm not giving that to you because you're not ready to handle that yet. It says that the master gave to each person according to his ability. And the issue is, is what have you been given? What do you have today that you can invest and give for the kingdom to expand it for tomorrow? A preacher had paid a visit to a farmer. And he asked, he said, if you had $200, would you give $100 away to serve the Lord? The farmer said, sure, I would. I would do that. Then the preacher said, if you had two cows, would you give the one cow to the Lord? And, and the farmer said, yes, I would do that. The preacher said, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord to serve the Lord? And the farmer replied, he says, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. And that's the issue that Jesus is bringing, whatever our talents are. It's not what the other guy has, or if you were in his shoes, or if you had his abilities or his resources. It's an issue of what do you have, and what has God given you, and what are you doing with it today? Well, let me bring this in for a landing, and let me give you a couple of ways to put some shoe leather on this. A couple of obstacles that we need to remove to allow generosity to occur to open up our hearts and our hands to the Lord. First of all is this, overcome your insecurities. Overcome your insecurities. Some have speculated that maybe the guy with the one talent, he buried it because maybe he was envious that the other guys were given more than he had. And maybe this is his way of getting back. Some have speculated maybe he did it because he felt like his didn't really matter. He didn't have as much as the other guys, and so why even try to do something? We don't know why he did that. But what we know is that the guy with the five talents and the guy with the two talents were evaluated on the same basis. And if the guy with the one talent would have done the same thing as they did, they would, he would have been equally as pleasing to God. And we need to get over our insecurities of what we are not and who others are and basing our obedience on that comparison. You just need to look at how God has wisely and purposefully and creatively designed your own life. And he knew what he was doing when he made you and he gifted you and he resourced you for his kingdom. And the root of overcoming jealousy with others and these comparisons that make us insecure is the knowledge that God has fearfully and wonderfully made our lives and strategically placed us just where he's wanted us to be. How many of you remember the first 1978 Superman movie? That's when Superman movies were good. 1978, Christopher Reeves. There he's... Clark Kent, young man, he's there in the cornfield in the Midwest and shows him at this football game and he's managing the football team. He's got to conceal his super talents as Superman from the planet of Krypton. 
As he's managing the team, the, the football players are not giving him any respect. He's not scoring touchdowns. He's not in the game. And they're just kind of looking down upon him because he's managing the team. And Clark Kent is feeling bad about that. And Clark Kent's father comes up around his son, his soon-to-be Superman. And he puts his arm around him and he encourages him. He says, son, you are, you are here for a special reason. And I don't know what that reason is, but the one thing I know, it's not to score touchdowns. And you may look at others and think, you know, I'm not doing as great of things as them. You may feel diminished. And I don't know exactly what you're here for, but it's for bigger things. And when you connect to the reasons why God has purposed you, resourced you, has gifted you, and blessed you, that is when you're going to excel in the supernatural powers which he's given you. That's good news, isn't it? We also need to be generous. And this is a big issue in letting other people shine their talents. This is another thing of insecurity because sometimes we start to do really well in life, but then when others start to outshine us, when others start to move beyond us, we get insecure and we start to bring them down. We start to diminish what they're doing. And folks, God distributes his talents according to as he, as he see fit. It was about eight months ago, Pastor Josh and I, we were with a group of pastors, and I was to lead a discussion and a teaching on how do you mobilize your congregation to, to go out into the harvest field. And we asked the question, why is it that more churches, more pastors aren't seeing more people go into the harvest field and engage in ministry for the kingdom? And the biggest answer that we came up with as we listened to these pastors is that these pastors says is that we don't want the people in our pew to outshine us. We're the ones that are hired to do the job. We are the ones that are hired to be the spiritual experts. And so we have trouble. We feel insecure when other people are starting to do more than we are. And folks, that is a mentality that I think Satan delights in. If our mission is to pass on an obedient relationship with God to our community, we want everybody to shine more and more. I was talking to Brenda as a about a month ago, we've been doing discipleship ministry for seven years before we came here to Crossroads. And, and she will, you know, when we have an outreach event, Brenda will kind of do some teaching and training for some of the folks to motivate them and give them a skill so that they can love people as we do this trunk or treat or whatever. And sometimes I'll go out and I'll be prayer walking and sharing my faith with people and doing some 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 harvest field kind of work. And Brenda and I were talking, and we said, you know what? The people at Crossroads that we are doing this with, they oftentimes are smoking us. They're doing it better than we are. And we're humbled by that, but we're also grateful that when we see people sharing their faith better than we do, people more aggressive and loving others than we do, that is a win for the kingdom. Number two, Overcome your fears. Overcome your fears. The guy with the one talent says, I was afraid, and so I buried it. And with $1 million, all he gave was a hole in the ground. That's all he had to show for it. 
Fear is the number one reason we don't obey God. Fear is the number one reason why we bury our gifts rather than letting them out and letting them grow. And the Bible tells us over and over to overcome our fears. Lloyd Ogilvie, the Bible teacher, says that we are told not to be afraid. We are commanded 366 times in the Bible, one for every single day, including those years where there's a leap year. And we live too much where we're afraid of what we're, lo- we're going to lose rather than hopeful and living in faith and what we could gain. To step out in faith is the only way to discover your calling. To step out in faith is the only way to experience real growth and who God has made you to be. To step out in faith is the only alternative to a life of spiritual boredom and stagnation. And so maybe this means for you that God is calling you to a new ministry. And he's saying you need to risk. You need faith over fear. Maybe for you, God is calling you to a divinely directed career change. It's difficult, but you need faith over fear. Maybe bringing this a little closer to home, maybe God is calling you to forgive somebody and you're afraid of what that change will bring in your heart because you've lived with anger and bitterness for so long, but you need to step out and risk and have faith over fear. Maybe you need to share your story of how you've come to know Christ with somebody and you're afraid of how they'll respond. You need to step out in faith over fear. Maybe you're courageously waiting for God choice in your marriage and refusing to compromise and you need to keep walking in faith rather than giving in to fear maybe it's about obeying God in your business and living out your ethics and integrity and you need to live out in faith rather than fear maybe it's being obedient to God in your finances and giving God the first fruits of all that he's blessed you with and it's in living in faith over fear We have a choice. Will it be safety first or will it be savior first?